Welcome to And the Foul. I'm Barco here with JL, and we're excited for episode number five. Today we're going to talk about the West Bomb, I guess is what we're going to call it now. The big trade that happened last night. Then we're going to go into the repercussions for both OKC and the Rockets. We're going to dive into some NFL for the first time on the podcast with some over-under picks and one surprise team to make the playoffs, and we really love that line. And finally, we'll get a rant from Justin today on the baseball in London. But with that being said, hopefully you subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify. Uh, that's and the foul. And if you have any questions or anything you want us to talk about, feel free to email us at andthefoul at gmail.com. But without further ado, let's talk NBA. As Barco said, we're going to get into the big move of yesterday's NBA action. Marcus Morris to the Knicks, one year, $15 million. I know. We really need something to talk about. So thank God they made that deal. Yeah, they now have four power forwards. But other than that, Russell Westbrook to the Rockets for Chris Paul, first rounders in 2024 and 26 and two pick swaps in 21 and 25. Uh, worth noting, 2023 is the last year of Harden and Westbrook, so those picks could potentially be very good. What do we think of this for Houston we'll start with? I guess from Houston's perspective, Daryl Morey sat back and said, I don't think we have enough, which I'm really surprised they said. I think that Houston's a team that they kept going up against the Warriors, and it's like climbing the mountain, and you're never going to reach the top. But I thought that their roster is actually pretty interesting. You look around the Western Conference, and it's absolutely loaded right now. But I think that Houston has the only trump card left in the league, which is going to the small ball lineup they play against the Warriors and making all these other newly, uh, newly formed teams play against them. I think that they can really dictate style with that small ball lineup. And that's why I was surprised that they made such a radical move. But with that being said, I'm very excited to see what this looks like. The combination of Russell Westbrook and James Harden. I I think Mike D'Antoni must just be oozing with ideas right now. uh, We were beginning to think the Rockets seemingly would just hold serve with Chris Paul and run it back again. As you said, they were climbing that mountain. Now that mountain's smaller. There's just a lot more mountains Small mountains, of course. Smaller mountains, but the West is still loaded. Um, Russell Westbrook and James Harden together will be something to watch. The players, I believe they had the two highest usage rate, 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 ratings in the NBA last season. I mean, as we said on the previous podcast, they're going to need a few basketballs now. Now they definitely need at least two for that team to, to be happy. And I think... So uh, before we really dig into the dynamics of what that team looks like, let's talk a little bit more about the incentives and repercussions for both teams for making this move. You mentioned how uh, these picks are going to be given to the Thunder after Harden and Westbrook are no longer with the team. So let's talk about the Hall. I, I, I'm actually in shock how much they were able to get for Westbrook. But I guess a lot of that has to do with the fact they took back such a toxic contract. Yeah, so... Let me pull it up. If we go through it, the Thunder have 15 picks in the next seven NBA drafts. And seven of those were their picks, right? So they have eight seven additional of those are first there. So they have eight additional. In 2020, they have their own pick in Denver's pick. In 2021, they have their own pick in Miami's pick. 2022, they have their own pick and the Clippers pick. 
23, their own pick, and Miami's pick again. 24, they have their own pick, the Clippers pick, and the Rockets pick. In 25, they have their own pick with rights to swap with Houston. And in 2026, they have their own pick, the Clippers pick, and the Rockets pick. So you're saying by the time I'm like 28 years old, you're going to tell me that they just get to try twice every year? Like they could just mess up their draft every single year and it won't matter because they'll still keep picking twice till like I'm 28 years old. Yeah, basically. And after the early pick, the early picks in the NBA draft, a lot of them are hit or miss. And the more opportunities you have, the more chances you have that they're going to hit. But OKC situation sounds pretty Celtics Nets-esque, would you say, right? Because they, they, they own the rights to three different teams' picks. It's not like any of those teams in particular can't be good because they just need one of them to be bad. NBA is such a star-driven league and the top of draft are so concentrated that they just need one of these teams to bottom out and they'll be golden. And now with these picks uh, vesting after the Harden-Westbrook contracts are off the board, that just gives them even more reason to believe that Houston could be that team out of out of Houston, Miami, and the Clippers. Right. I also think there's reason to believe Miami won't be very good. <laughs> but, yeah, they don't have to rely on just that those, that late-round Clippers pick every year. And the other thing, though, is it might not even be a late-round Clippers pick anymore. If you saw the other big news that came out, that Kawhi and Paul George are now – the timelines have lined up and Kawhi only signed two plus one – those Clipper picks might be even more valuable than OKC realized at the time. And I think Sam Presti uh, is in an enviable position compared to a lot of other rebuilding teams, but it's going to be a long process for sure. Yeah, it will. And they're going to have to work hard. It's not easy to play with a young team, like build around young players in the beginning until you bring in more pieces. And we've said they have some veteran guys, and it'll be interesting to see what they do this season if they want to move any more of them or something else. Do you think they should move Chris Paul at this point? Do you think there's a way they can move Chris Paul? Uh, I don't think there's any harm in trying. Try to get – and if they reach out and find out that that they're being asked to throw in a pick with Paul and give up more, then they won't do it. But if they can get anything out of Chris Paul, I think they would. I think they would take second rounders for him. I mean, I think they'd take literally anything that isn't three years of $40 million on the books. But the other thing is – I don't think it hurts them to just keep him on the books. Like there's, there's been talk I've heard from people that are like in the media that are saying Chris Paul is going to try to get a buyout or he's going to try to get stretched and maybe join the Lakers. And wouldn't that be fun for the NBA? I mean, I personally, I'd like to see it. I don't think Chris Paul makes anyone a super team. He's probably the 40th best player in the league. So I'm okay with that happening, but I don't see it as feasible for the thunder. The only way I think Chris Paul leaves the thunder is if, Chris Paul turns around and say, give me my guaranteed contract money for this year. Buy me out for that. I don't want the money. I just want to go win a championship and play on a team that matters to me. And maybe that's really what he wants to do, but I can't imagine him leaving $70 million plus million on the table to chase that. No, I agree. There's no shame in him doing that, obviously. He's been in the league for a long time and hasn't made a final. So if he wants to, he wants to. But if he decides to stay with the Thunder, I think everyone would be happy with that. They're very high on Shea Gilders-Alexander, as were the Clippers when they dealt him. And maybe Chris Paul could be sort of a mentor to him as he grows. I think that he's definitely the perfect person to learn from on the surface, but I also think he's kind of rough around the edges. And it might make it difficult for Gilders-Alexander. He definitely respects him, but it might make him a tough person to learn from. Uh, I think that there are some potential Paul destinations. I don't think they're really going to happen. It'd be shocked if they materialized to me. 
But I guess Detroit's an option with the Reggie Jackson, Tony I'll Snow, tell you right garbage now, If he package. goes to Detroit, he's taking that buyout and going, oh. to, going to the championship. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, Detroit, Miami is the one everyone keeps talking about. Plays with Jimmy Butler would be the same as the Westbrook thing. But Chris Paul's not Russell Westbrook. The reason why the Thunder got two first-rounders and two pick swaps for Russell Westbrook is because Chris Paul is so much worse. Like, Russell Westbrook's on a deal that pays him more money and for a year longer than Chris Paul, and they thought that there was two first-rounders and two pick swaps for the differential between their talent. And I think that people were forgetting, because Russell Westbrook's on a bad contract and he might have some fatal flaws that limit his upside, he's still a great basketball player. Like, Chris Paul is very much in the back end of his career. But Russell Westbrook might have a year or two left in his prime. If you can get a prime player in the top 15, I guess that's why Maury just rolled the dice with it. Yeah, I mean, take a shot with Westbrook. I think the Rockets saw an improving West and knew they had to make a change, and that's what they did. But you have an interesting take on Oklahoma City here, who they sit with right now an aging Chris Paul, Steven Adams on a monster contract, Dennis Schroeder, Andre Robertson, and Gallinari as their vets, pretty much. And you have a take here. Yeah, um, I'm going to go on record and say that if they don't dump the rest of these old guys – especially Chris Paul and Gallinari, I think the Thunder make the playoffs. See, we've already established that there's seven locks. We both agree there's seven locks in the playoffs. So that one spot, you think it's you think it's Oklahoma City's? I think that, yes. I, I think Oklahoma City is that eighth team to make the playoffs. And I think it's really simple why. First, this is a team that's built to win regular season games, I think. I think a lot of these guys are either on the last year of their deal or that they're like younger guys. So they have every incentive to play really hard. Gallinari's on an expiring. Roberson's on an expiring. So if they want to get their last shot at a big payday, they're going to have to prove something this year. So they have every incentive to work hard. And I think Chris Paul gives you a really nice floor for any given team. I think he's uh, able to run an offense really well and put other guys in position to be successful. We we kind of forget what he was able to do for the Clippers and the, Pel- and the Pelicans slash Hornets when he was younger. And although he might not have what he used to have, I think playing with Harden for so many years, for two years and forgetting what it was like to play on the ball and being able to control an offense has a lot of fans forgetting how he can really help his teammates be successful. Personally, I don't see it really. I still think there are teams better in the West. I think the Kings are better. I think the Spurs are still better. Um, The Mavs even, but they could be an inch. No, they're boring. Those are a lot they're, of they're, those are a lot look, of boring guys. They're, they're maybe the most boring roster. I, unless I mean, I wish the trade for Ennis Kanner because that's the second best partnership, Kanner and Stephen Adams behind the uh, Bobby and Toby one. So it'd be kind of fun if they could they, they could bring the, the the Welsh the New Zealander and the Turkishman back together because they had like a really funny uh, relationship. But right now they have maybe the most boring roster in the league, but a lot of picks and. I do think, though, they're going to try to move on from Roberson and Gallinari because they're on expirings and they're definitely players that can contribute on reasonable-sized contracts. But if they don't, they're a playoff team for me. Okay. Interestingly enough, uh, moving forward to the Rockets, who are definitely a playoff team, no doubt about Wait, that one. you think one. the Rockets are going to make the I playoffs? I do think – I'm going on record, as Barco did, saying the Rockets will make the playoffs. But Westbrook and Harden together, is it going to work? who's the primary ball handler. And does Westbrook fit in this Rocket system? Last year, he only shot 29% from three, and that's what the Rockets love to do. 
I mean, if there's anything I know about Russell Westbrook, you don't have to encourage him to take three-pointers, which I guess is always the first step for anyone that joins the Rockets. But I think they're really going to have to learn about who is the primary ball handler here. Neither one of these guys wants to defer to the other. And I think if you use that like NBA tracking, motion tracking, they probably are last and second to last in the league (laughs) and off the ball movement. So anytime they just pass the ball, they just take the rest of the possession off. And I think that Mike D'Antoni is going to really need to show me as a great coach because this is not (laughs) good luck with that one. This is not the fit that I would imagine right off the bat, but there's something just throwing a lot of talent together and hoping it works out. Like, I don't even think the fit between uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James is perfect, but if you just throw enough talent together, I think it'll work. And I, I don't see anything different here. That's fair. Westbrook loves ISO ball also, which the Rockets like. Oh, the Rockets love ISO ball. It's love ISO ball and high ball screen with uh, Capella. So that's a lob jam. If I've ever seen one. I mean, maybe they'll do the uh, thing like the Portland Trailblazers do where they just play each guy like six minutes of the first quarter and then six minutes of the second quarter and then like play them separately yeah, play them essentially separately yeah. except for the first and last six minutes of each half that way they both get to get their touches and their shots up because if russell westbrook and harden don't each get 30 shots they're gonna no, be i crying. like that idea have a superstar on the court at all times if you can i think that's a great idea especially with the uh putrid bench the rockets got out here i don't really want to be running out bench mobs of austin rivers daniel house Gary Clark, Hartenstein. Gerald Green. Gerald Green, too. Yeah, so I don't think those five is really what I'm looking for. So I I definitely think that's the approach they're going to take. Yeah. Interesting stat. Obviously, Westbrook broke the triple-double record like three years in a row. Mr. Mr. Triple-double for a season. There's only nine pairs of teammates that have ever recorded a triple-double in the same game. LeBron and Lonzo did it last year. And before that, you have to go back to 2007 with Vince Carter and Jason Kidd on the Nets. How often do you think a triple-double is going to happen in the same game in the for the Rockets this season? I mean, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double. I think he had over 40 last year. So I think he's even, – even with Harden taking a lot of touches in usage, you got to say he's going to have at least 25 triple-doubles. And I think uh, Harden, what does he have, like 20 or 25 yeah. last year? So I think they got to do it at least five times, which is going to shatter the record given that the current record is one. Uh, I think that's going to be a funny stat for uh, the media to play around with who are obsessed with triple doubles and less so winning in the regular season. So that's true. Uh, I think that'll be a fun thing to watch. Here's the question, though. Can they get three? Can Capella get enough blocks in a game where you have three triple doubles? I mean, I think I'd much rather take P.J. Tucker in that one with really? knockdown players oh, if, okay. that's a, if that's a countable that's stat fair. because I don't, I don't see – well, I mean, if we count turnovers, we could have two quadruples. Easy, oh, definitely. Easy. <laughs> I think that's definitely a possibility next year. Two quadruple doubles, ten, ten turnovers each. That, that'll that be a fun team for Dan Tony to coach. But what do you think about this roster? Like, you see their starting five. It it looked the exact same as the one last year. You, you swap Westbrook for Paul. We, we both agree it's a big upgrade, but it might look a little bit differently. What do you think about it? So here's my thing with the lineup. I think it's a very scary lineup. And by scary, I mean, like, menacing. Not so much like talented as they are, but I'm putting that to the side for now. Their lineup is Westbrook, Harden, Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, and Clint, and Clint Capella. If I'm an opposing player going into Houston, I know in a given game I'm either getting crossed up by Harden, three in my face by Eric Gordon, dunked on by Westbrook or Capella, or just slapped by PJ Tucker. Like I know I'm going to get injured or embarrassed playing against this team. I guess that means you circle it on the schedule and make sure you're sick that day. Yeah, it's a good... 
good time if we're not on NBA prime time. You know, Kawhi, coach, I'm going to sit this one out. Like, yeah, yeah, nice Tuesday on NBA TV. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to play against yeah, the Rockets I don't need this one. And I think so much of this move is about trying to up their ceiling. And we've learned over the last five to seven years in Oklahoma City that Westbrook kind of has a limited ceiling. Do you think playing with Harden, it's not the same Harden you played with an OKC, can really elevate Westbrook to reach his peak of playing with teammates? Because you look at the Oladipos and the Sabonises and you kind of say maybe he kind of limited their ability. But this is this is Harden's team. This isn't Westbrook's right. team. So when he comes in, do you think he's really going to be able to accept a role next to another superstar and get the most out of both of them? It's interesting because they've played together before, but when they played together the first time and around, apparently they're friends. I didn't even right, realize that. Right when they played together the first time around, Harden wasn't Harden. He was, you know, he was third. Lou Williams. He was, he was Lou Williams. Yeah, there you go. He was the guy getting elbowed in the face by Metal World Peace. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but them being knowing each other on a personal level, maybe Westbrook's selfishness will kind of take a back seat. Maybe, like we said, he would shoot less and really. The second thing the Rockets love to do is get to the basket. They love to take a layup. The high percentage shots is their go-to like motto. So maybe him playing with another superstar that also loves the ball could benefit him and the Rockets in general. I want to build off your point there of taking high percentage shots that maximize players. So Daryl Morey, the GM of the Rockets, he's known for Morey ball, which was chuck up a lot of threes because they're worth more points than twos. And he changed basketball because of it. And last year, the Rockets, 52% of their shots were three-pointers. So I guess first I got a point, and then I have a question. My point I want to make here is that if they want to maximize Russell Westbrook, I think they should tell him he's not allowed to shoot threes because he's most effective when he's going to the basket and creating for others. But as a 29% three-point shooter, you can say he's going to get better, but he's only a career 30% three-point shooter. His best year is 34%. I think that if they want to, if their thing is maximizing players, they might go to the other end of the spectrum here and say, we want you to take only high percentage shots in the paint. Right. And everyone else's job is to shoot threes. You're just do the rest. So I guess my question is do you think with the addition of Russell Westbrook, they become more or less reliant on the three point shot as a team? So, so that 52%? Yeah. Do you think that goes up or down? Because every year it's gone That's up true. since Mike point. D'Antoni came in as coach. I feel like it has to go down. I just uh, – if Westbrook listens, it'll go down. I guess that's the best way but to But the question it. is, do you think that's what Mike D'Antoni's yes, I, I encouraging do think, him to I do not think they, the will, they will encourage him to try and get in the – like he doesn't just shoot the three. He also takes that horrible pull-up shot that he tries to bank in oh, on the, the mid-range. Oh, the 16-footer? Like, he's the king of like bad shots. Uh, if they get him Wait, going when down – when did he take that crown from DeMar DeRozan? I don't – DeMar DeRozan's going to be fighting your thunder for that eight seed. So. Fighting my thunder. <laughs> fighting uh, your thunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But – if they get him going downhill and towards the paint, yes, maybe he can kick out. Like, that's great. I think that's the best Westbrook they can get. They don't want to try and reinvent his shot, which we looked at numbers. It's gone down. Like, not just three points. His free throw percentage went from 85% two years ago to 73 to 65. It just doesn't make sense and what he's doing. that's the other thing the Rockets harp on. The reason their offense is so effective, and James Harden is the single greatest offensive player and his own and is on his own the most efficient NBA offense is because he gets to the line at a ridiculous rate. And some people say it's the refs or he's the flopper. I don't care about any of that. He gets to the line. He makes almost 90% of his free throws. It's like 1.8 points every time he gets fouled. Russell Westbrook, his whole career, he was an 80 to, to mid-80 to, to mid free throw shooter. But in the last, last season, he dropped all the way to 65%. So 
I mean, that's going to have to get fixed. I can't imagine that uh, the Rockets feel comfortable with Westbrook playing heavy minutes if he can't make his free throws. It's just really – like every team trusts their developmental team to figure out what he's doing wrong with his shot and but help drop, him to work. It, it dropped just, seven, it, 18% it, from it the line in two sense. years. Like, it almost seems unfixable because it's not like his usage – his usage did go up, but it's not – he was still playing with Paul George. Like I would understand if he's like – more fatigued and he has to play every minute because he's the only superstar on his team but he had another one it's just weird and it, it could be something to worry about for the Rockets but because they still have Harden and so many other pieces I think they'll be okay I mean Maury's a stats guy and statisticians have said that you need 750 attempts to prove your f- true free throw percentage so I'm not saying he, he gets a lot of attempts compared to almost all NBA players he's probably second or third in the week in free throws but maybe it's small sample and I guess the Rockets have to hope it is. But if not, that's what I'd be having work on all offseason. I'm not asking him to make threes. I'm asking him to make free throws because that's what they're going to need if they really want to contend. So let's talk about contending. Right. Do you really think this team is in the upper echelon of the Western Conference? We know that they have two of the best, fiercest regular season players. I think they're going to be a top three seed in the West. They might even get the number one seed, in my opinion. Because both those guys just love playing basketball and want to beat the guy across from them every night. But let's talk about this team's ceiling. Where do we really think they are in in the hierarchy, especially in the West? Like you said, these guys aren't going to sit as much as LeBron and Kawhi will take games off, um, which could contribute to them getting a higher seed than they than as good as they actually are. I don't really think seeding matters too much as far as teams go in the West. I put them below the two LA teams and in that tier with the Warriors and Jazz right in front of Denver and Portland. We've said our seven teams. So they're in the middle of the top echelon of the West. How big do you think the drop-off is between the Lakers and this Rockets team? Not huge. I don't even know if the Rockets are the next team. Oh, you, you actually the think Warriors the Warriors I actually the think they're comparable to the Warriors and the Jazz. I don't think the drop-off is huge between – obviously, we the Clippers roster is something – like they're a playoff team that added pieces – uh, all these pieces other, they added yeah, Kawhi that, and Paul George yeah, that added all-stars MVPs um but I think all of these five teams are comparable I'd even throw Denver I still think it's a big mishmash with these seven teams in the west I think the Rockets are very good and it just depends all these teams have new pieces it just really depends on which new pieces gel the best I really have done a lot of thinking about the teams in the west First thing I've come to the conclusion of is I think the Clippers are way better than the rest of the teams, actually. I'm starting to buy in more and more into the Clippers. I don't think that they need anything to fill out their roster. But with that being said, I wanted to come on here and say that I think the Rockets are better than the Lakers. But the more and more I think about it, I think that they're the exact same team. I think that both teams have two guys that they have confidence in. And then you hope the rest of the roster comes together and that they're able to create for everyone else on the team. And if I had to put my money down, nothing to do with fit, but everything to do with I want LeBron James over any of those other three guys on those two teams. So I think I'd give the Lakers a slight edge in my mind, but I think it's razor thin. And I think that the Rockets, for me, have actually separated themselves ever so slightly from the Warriors and the Jazz. I don't want to give up on Golden State. I I think Steph Curry is incredible, but I don't think that – they have the top-end talent and consistent offensive play that the Rockets will have on a nightly basis. Like, even when one guy isn't on, they have another guy that's a 30-point scorer, and you just know you're going to get that from them every night. Whereas, like, 
the Warriors, if they don't get the Steph Knight, if Clay's not fully healthy, and the Jazz, if they don't get a Knight from someone, right. I just don't think that they're 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 in the same class. It's interesting. So you think Westbrook finally gives them that we can beat the Warriors? Well, Westbrook paired with KD leaving, obviously, because this is this is the one team that they built for. Like Daryl Morey built this basketball style to beat the Warriors. It's all he wanted to do, and now is it? It's probably not enough if they beat the Warriors. Like their goal. Does their goal shift? Their Do goal they... can't be to beat the Warriors anymore. Their right. goal has to be to construct the roster to be better than the rest of the teams in the West. Because we agree, like, the Clippers are the best team, but not by enough where you're constructing a roster to beat them. Previous years, people looked at Golden State and said, if I'm not building to beat Golden State, then I shouldn't be building at all. Exactly, because there's no point of playing for second place, right? Exactly. And now I think that they're the one unique small ball team left. Like, if they just throw House out there – you could put B.J. Tucker at the center, and I think teams will have to match up with them. I don't. I wouldn't be as concerned with how they can play against these other teams in the West as much as That's I fair. think that other teams should be scared of how they're going to play against the Rockets. If you take the Lakers, for example, who have said they're going to put LeBron at the point, how, how do they match up? The Rockets match up? No, or, how do the Lakers, Lakers match, match up with the Rockets? I don't Rockets? think they, they can. can. Yeah. This team is going to be so fast. And the other thing that we should have touched on earlier – is what this gives the Rockets is transition points. They've always been a team that plays elite half-court offense and is methodical about the shots that they take and create. Russell Westbrook gives them a totally new element, which is I take the rebound and I'm going to go get my bucket and I'm going to get a layup on the other end because I'm bigger, stronger, and faster than all the guys on the court. Right. And I think that's, that's really going to add a new element. That's where the dunking on you comes yeah, into play. Exactly. <laughs> part, part, of the, uh, part of the scary lineup that you're going to want to take a night off for. Yeah. But the, the transition points, I think, will be a huge addition to this offense and take a lot of the half-court load off of Harden for maybe the 10 possessions a game Westbrook can create, even in, like, semi-transition. I do have an interesting take here, though, because um, Westbrook has always been, I would say, kind of a better's nightmare. I, I love like, Westbrook, right? You love I, Westbrook I love when Westbrook you're not rooting watch, for him. But I hate him as a player, fundamentally. Um, like, I feel like... If somebody bets the Rockets and they're confident, you're watching the game, it's early, it's late, whatever, and you know Westbrook's going to jack up a stupid three or shoot that, like, 16-foot mid-ranger that hits the glass and doesn't even hit the rim. Like, he's going to do that, knock it back on D, and the other team's going to dunk it. You're going to be like, come, like, just give the ball to Harden. Like, just give it to Harden, and then Westbrook's going to do it again. Like, it's going to be a real – you could win some games if you play the Rockets, but it'll be tough to watch. You're going to have to sit through pain. It's going to be agonizing. To get that win, to get that cover, because they're going to be favored a lot. Yeah, I mean, so, they're going to be favored. They're going to be a handful of teams that's favored most nights they play. I am not going to be taking this team on the road very much. I don't think they're much oh, no. better at home. And I don't I, need. I, I think they're uh, sometimes they're going to like with Westbrook and Harden. They're just a wild card sometimes. It depends how excited they are to play that night. And uh, I'm definitely concerned personally about whether Westbrook is going to listen. If Westbrook comes in and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be what you need me to be and, and, and can have that relationship with D'Antoni, it's going to be special. But as you said, if he's not willing to defer to the best offensive player in basketball, it's going to be the KD thing. It's going to be the Paul George thing all over again. And you're going to be sitting there, as you said, as, as a better, and you're going to want to rip your head off saying, give the ball to Harden. I don't want to watch him go eight for 30 in a game in Charlotte that they end up winning by four when they needed to win by nine. Like, it's just... That, that seems like an accurate spread in Charlotte. Like that's just oh, it's hard. gonna be more than nine in Charlotte. Yeah, just <laughs> nineteen. It's gonna be painful, and I don't know. 
I, he's just he shoots so much. Hopefully he learns, and this team could be one of the best offensive teams in NBA history, maybe because two dynamic players. But we'll see. And I had one last quick question for you on this topic between Westbrook and Harden. Who averages more points plus rebounds plus assists next year? And who is higher in the MVP voting? That's a good – I think Harden will definitely be higher in the MVP voting because I think he's going to show out as the number Alpha one guy. That, yeah. I mean, not personality-wise, but on the floor, he'll show to be the number one guy, the go-to guy at the end of games. The points plus re- – see, Harden doesn't – like tell his teammates to move out of the way so he can grab the board. Westbrook, Westbrook does like. You think Capella is going to be as nice as Stephen Adams? Yeah, why not? Like <laughs> I don't know. Westbrook's going to feed Capella for dunks just as much. That's interesting. I think Westbrook will out out rebound Harden by a fair amount, but because of the other two stats, I I think Harden's points plus rebounds plus assists will be higher. I think MVP is so much about narrative, and I think that if they become the number one seed in the Western Conference. I think actually Westbrook will have an MVP case. I'm I'm convinced. That's because he's the one that got out. He's the one that made the change. And he's yeah. the difference, right? And MVP's regular season award. And I think I, I'm not saying that I think he's going to win it. I mean, I'd be I'd be crazy to say it's not going to be Giannis because he's alone, and being alone gives you a huge advantage. Or Curry, I think, is another right. great example of the. I think those are the top two candidates they in are, my head. They're, they're the two favorites right now. But I would take. I think Westbrook has a better chance to win it because I don't see the narrative that Harden wins it. But I think that Westbrook is a clear way to win the MVP. Points, rebounds, and assists, I agree with you. I think Harden has a scoring edge just a little bit too big to overcome. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see, and I cannot wait to watch this team. They, they're, they're, they're not even a league pass special team because they're going to be on national TV at, at every moment ESPN can get them on. And uh, I can't wait to hear uh, Charles Barkley and Shaq scream about which one is uh, at fault because they both seem to have a uh, flaming hot takes on both Harden and uh, Westbrook on a consistent basis. I want to see what's going to happen if they get off to a slow start. Like people are going to go crazy on these guys. Like, and they're obviously going to blame Westbrook for that. Yeah, of course. And do you think they have any other roster moves left, or do you think that they're they're kind of limited with what they can do? But do you think that there's something that they should be going after? Just, just to make them everything that you'd hope they could be. They don't have much of a bench right now, but they never have in years past either. I don't think they've ever gone more than nine guys really, and they have. Well, right now, right now, what we put they together maybe is seven or is eight: Austin Rivers, Daniel House, and Gerald Green, which is a work in progress. I, I don't see. I think they're fine. Maybe I they'll find they the play. greatest three and D in NBA history just roaming the maybe. New league this year. Thabo Cephalosha. Anyone could shoot a corner of three. That's right. So now we're gonna talk. NFL, and we've been waiting through this on the podcast for five episodes now. And there's no better time in the present. We've been really excited about this. Right. So we each pick some football over under win totals for the year. And uh, we'll talk through some of our favorite NFL bets and start to, to bring in the season. I'm excited for some picks again. I like football. Great, great sport. Red zone. Scott Hansen. Oh my god! I cannot wait for seven hours of commercial free football. Football more than any any other sport is a scene. You know, you get your red zone up, you got your wings. It's on. It's the same day every. You know, it's not like the NBA where it's like sometimes you're watching it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It's just Sunday. It's football day. I mean, they own a day of the week. They do, and rightfully so. It's the day of rest, except for them. How many times last year did you actually eat wings while watching red zone? Never. Never. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're really keeping with tradition. Yes. I, I Maybe during the Super Bowl, which is boring. Uh, wow. 
great, great way to start the segment. Uh, now that we've uh, established that we had a really boring Super Bowl last year, let's talk about how great the one this year is going to be. Uh, starting with some teams that are not going to make the Super Bowl, Justin, your first over-under pick. First over-under, Cincinnati Bengals. Over-under is six. We're going under. We're taking the even line. Um, if anyone's watched Andy Dalton the last couple of years, I don't know why you've watched Andy Dalton the last couple of years. He's got a great He's not a fun watch. The best thing about him is that his hair matches his jersey. Uh, they're horrible. I think they haven't made improvements to their team. While there are teams in the division, I guess the Steelers maybe took a little step back, but the Browns are up there now. By Bengals standards, the Steelers didn't really take a step back. There's plenty gap there still. Yeah. The Bengals, you know, they're known – or they had been known in years past to go to the playoffs and lose the first round and keep Marvin Lewis. And now without Marvin Lewis, the narrative is going to be different. They're going to start one and seven, not go to the playoffs. They're going to start one and They're seven? Start one and seven, not go to the playoffs and keep Zach Taylor. That's, he will not get fired. After what, what after, record are you going to give them season. with your, uh, I'll give them under six. I'll give them four wins. I feel like Who are they beating this I year? honestly feel like that's generous. Um, if we pull up, they win any division wins this year. I think they can beat the Ravens at home. That's it. <laughs> oh That's my god, you're you're brutal here. They, they get a home game versus the Jaguars, which it's a maybe. It's a maybe. Nick Foles, and then they have games at Oakland and at Miami. But the road is tough for 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 a rookie head coach with a bad quarterback. So Manny Dolan isn't a bad quarterback. He's an average quarterback. I mean, they have a home game versus the Cardinals versus the 49ers. So you, you, you think Andy Dalton's a bad quarterback? He's like an average quarterback. I think now he is bad. I consider <laughs> him bad. I have the same amount of playoff wins as him. That 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 is true. Um All right, you do you have got? a lot of playoff. Who, who you got? Who's your pick? No, enough Andy. This is more Andy Dalton than should ever be on any podcast. <laughs> but uh my first pick is uh uh Falcons. Uh the line's eight and a half. I'm gonna take the under, which is even money. You know, I go to school in Georgia. I know. So, so not, so not only are so not all gonna of be your well college friends gonna love me after this, but uh, my friend Blake is also gonna love me after this great pick because uh, big Falcons guy. But let's talk through the reasons they're not gonna be much better. First is, okay, Matt Ryan is fine. The offense is fine. The offensive line is okay. The defense is objectively not great i know they had a lot of injuries last year and they're going to bring guys back but they were major injuries they were most uh right and they had guys that were out the whole year yeah. so we'll a lot see, of a lot of injuries to their secondary yes defense. we'll see how those guys come back but let me tell you the biggest problem here for the falcons they got these two stretches during their season where i think that they're going to be absolutely screwed they they start the first three weeks against the vikings the eagles and the colts they're not winning any of those games and then they have another stretch from week seven to week 11 where they play the Rams, Seahawks, Saints, and Panthers, and the last two of those games are on the road. I think that after week 11, they might have two or three wins. And I think it's really hard to get to a number like eight and a half when you're expected to just win out in the second half of your schedule. The other thing is I think that division is brutal. They're going to beat the Bucks twice. But besides those, I think that they'll probably lose – at least three games against their division. And getting to a number like like eight and a half can be tough, especially when you have games against uh against teams like the Titans and uh the Titans, Colts, and Texans, which I all think are pretty good teams. Those will be tough wins, especially when two of those are on the road. So I'm taking the under here. 
Yeah. If we give them the two Bucks wins, that would mean they have to go seven and seven the rest of the way. And they do have a they do have a gauntlet of a schedule. Next team I'm going to. You mentioned them briefly. The Falcons will beat this team. They play Tennessee at home. Tennessee's over under is eight and a half. Wait, they have the same eight and a half one. That means Vegas thinks they're just as good as them. Like that's, that's definitely gonna lose to the Falcons. That's true. That's very surprising, actually. <laughs> well, what do you all well, think? I Who's think better? They, the Titans or the Falcons? I think they agree that actually I was going to say the AFC South is weaker, but it might not. Like, the Jags are improved. I, I, actually, technically, tough. Vegas thinks the, the Titans are worse just because they're a minus 145 and That's the Falcons true. are even. But it's close enough. Right. Keep going, though. It more so means the betters think Tennessee is worse. But yeah, yeah. The Titans' first four games this year are at Cleveland versus Indy, at Jacksonville, at Atlanta. As we said, if we, I don't think they win that at Atlanta game. But that's an 0-4. And then they also, obviously... They play the South, so that also means they have Carolina and the Saints. And I believe, yeah, they play the West, so that means they get the Chiefs and the Chargers. It's just too many losses on the schedule. And an improved Bengals team, uh, not Bengals, Jaguar, definitely not Bengals team, <laughs> Jaguar team with Nick Foles at quarterback. I think their division is something to look out for. Obviously, Houston and the Colts in the playoffs next year. The Colts should definitely be even better. So I don't see Tennessee getting to eight and a half with a deteriorating Marcus Mariota. So betting the under there, um, you're saying they're not making the playoffs. So if they don't right. make the playoffs, I think this is the last year of Mariota. He didn't get his extension yet. I would think it would be the last year of Mariota. And every, you think I, he's a good? You think he'd be a starting quarterback? No, I feel. <laughs> I feel like every year they've made the playoffs, it just wasn't it's because in spite of, of Mariota. It was like he he went eight for twenty one with like hundred and twenty yards and a pick. And they still won. I don't somehow. know why you're hating, though. He threw and caught a touchdown pass it in the was playoffs. Impressive. So. It was one of the most impressive playoff plays ever. Probably not true, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was out like the one-yard line. But no, I don't see any way Tennessee gets to this eight-and-a-half win. I don't see them having a season over 500. And then uh, we'll give an alert here on my second pick. My favorite pick by far is the under six-and-a-half line. On the Oakland Raiders, minus 140. They're going to get one win this year. It's called being on hard knocks. Besides that, they, they, they're they going to be underdogs, I think, in every game they play this no, year. No, they play Cincinnati at home. <laughs> okay, maybe. maybe. Okay, Cincinnati at home, maybe that's even money. Okay. I think Cincinnati's not going to be Raiders bad. It's Look, a great game. Hey, everybody, week 11. Bengals Raiders. Playing not, for the first overall playing pick. Playing for the first pick. Definitely not on national TV, so tune in. It's on CBS, though, at 425 for those curious. Right. But uh, I really think this Raiders team, they added Antonio Brown, and that's like a big, splashy thing. You know why Antonio Brown is so good? Because he played with Big Ben in his career. He didn't play with Derek Carr. Derek Carr isn't any good. Really? John, that's, that's a hot take. You don't think Derek, you think Derek Carr is good? No. I mean, the hot take that Antonio Brown oh. is not very good. No, Antonio Brown's good. He just whatever without big ben like he's a great receiver but so much of being a great receiver is about who you play quarterback with that's why i respect andre hopkins so much he did it with nobody but um i mean how many years did he play with brian Hoyer? i got nothing i got nothing <laughs> but going back to the raiders let, let's focus here their defense is awful i think the second highest third second or third highest paid guy on the roster is a mediocre left tackle that they spent the most ever on offensive lineman and free agency on they didn't really upgrade many of the positions of need outside of receiver. I don't think John Gruden's getting a lot out of his quarterback, even though he is a quarterback guru. 
And without the defense getting any better, the division, they got two losses against the Chiefs for sure. They got two losses against the Chargers for sure. They probably split with the Broncos. And try and tell me they're not starting their season like 0-6 or 0-7. They play the Broncos, Chiefs, at the Vikings, at the Colts. Bears at the Packers at the Texans. Like hmm. maybe they have one winnable game, which is week one home against the Broncos. But if you're a team coming off where well, they went three games last year, three or four games last year, and you start the season 0-6 or 1-7, you're really going to get behind your head coach who's an absolute idiot? I don't really think so. So I think that six and a half numbers is going to be very difficult to get to. Interesting game, week five against the Bears. I don't think they played the Bears last year. So it's Khalil Mack's first game against his former team, right? You're right. That, that that could be one to circle on the schedule. I, I really think Khalil Mack is going to have fun with that Do one. you think the Raiders made a mistake by trading <laughs> Dude, I mean, in, in simple terms, when John Gruden gave a press conference two weeks later and said, yeah, like we could use a pass roster that could be really hard to find after trading Khalil Mack, I, I would say they might regret it a little bit. Yeah. Like, defensive players don't win MVP, but if, if one could, I, I think it could be Khalil Mack. Maybe. We'll see. He'll have a big game against the Bears, week or against the Raiders, week five. The last thing we have on football is a surprise team to make the playoffs. Surprise based on their odds. They're plus 300 to make the playoffs. It's the New York Jets. And, the new uh, football team in New York. We're back, baby. Sammy D signed Le'Veon, who should be the number one pick in all fantasy leagues. If I have the number one pick, that's our team. Playoffs, Jets, easy six seed, probably the one seed. For reference, we do have some bias here, given that Justin is a Jets fan. But as a New York Giants fan, I will easily admit they would be the better team in New York this year. But also that this is a pick that I support myself. It's not just one I'm jumping on with you. Uh, this podcast and the fouls actually wagered on this being the case. We are putting our money where the where our mouth is. With the Jets plus 300 on the plus, why do we like this pick so much? Oh, Sammy D, sophomore, opposite of a sophomore slump, whatever that is. Sophomore He's gonna be. I don't know if you follow Colin Cowherd, one of the biggest Sam Darnold fans ever. Yeah, and it seems like <laughs> everything uh, Cowherd says comes true. Not only did Cowherd make uh, top 10 players under 22 list in like athletes, it was athletes like whatever sport, he made it because of Sam Darnold's birthday. Like that was what gave him the idea to do this. So you're saying because Sam Darnold got a top 10 list on his birthday from Coward. That's why the Jets are That's why the Jets no, are uh, Obviously more so uh, the signing of Levy on the signing of CJ Mosley really bolstering up their defense. Another year of Jamal Adams, who's been a superstar already. And my favorite thing about this Jets team is they're not really going to get a – what what are those things called from the airlines? They're not they're not going to get the platinum status this year. Like they're they're going to be flying coach all year because the furthest flight they have all year is to Miami. They don't go a single right. time to the West Coast or really even the middle of the country. All their road games are in the East, and the reason why that matters so much, they're going to be the freshest team in the week. Think about all those teams that fly across the country for the 10 a.m. games on the West Coast. None of those teams are going to be fit to play on a weekly basis compared to the Jets, and like. I think that they're going to be the one of the healthiest teams in the league because of it, one of the best rested teams in the league, and that's definitely a, a fun tidbit that makes me excited about their opportunity this season. Yeah, obviously third pick, Quentin Williams, everyone's expecting to be a stud. And then coming in fourth the year before does help. It's how the Jets – You get an easier schedule, you right? You do get an easier schedule because you play the other teams that come, came in fourth. So the, the AFC East is playing the AFC North this year. 
so they would have had the Bengals no matter what. But they also get, because of this, the Raiders and the Jaguars. Ooh, I like getting the Raiders. That's a free win. Right. Um, and then also with the Jets, the year they went 10-6 and six when they added in Ryan Fitzpatrick and Brandon Marshall in that year where they just missed the playoffs, that was coming off a year that they came in last place and benefited from the lighter schedule. So we think they can do that again. And one other thing I think we should add here is I really like this Jets playoff bet at plus 300 because I think there's a clear top of the AFC. But after those four teams that I think are locks to make the playoffs, I I really think that there's a lot of like nonsense in there, if that makes any sense. I, I guess there's five teams I think are going to make the playoffs. Like you go across the divisions, you have the you have the Patriots, then you got the Colts, and then I think both the teams in the AFC West are making the playoffs. Right. So that leaves it's the Jets and then the Browns. Whoever doesn't win the AFC North. All right. So one of the Browns, Ravens, or Steelers that's really good, or one of, or the Texans, I guess. But I really only think there's what two, three, four teams that are in the mix. I don't think any of them particularly are separating themselves. So when it comes to being well rested, adding pieces this offseason, new head coach, and getting three to one odds, I think this is something we're really right. behind. That's four or five teams for two spots. So assuming the Chargers don't assume- just take one. No, no, assuming the Chargers do take yeah. one because that we're saying the Chiefs and Chargers are in with the Patriots and the Colts. So there's the four, then there's the yes, five teams we just correct. named for the two spots. So theoretically, their odds should be worse than they are. Um, so the value is there at plus 300. I totally agree. And we can't wait to bring you more NFL content moving forward. This is just the start, but in the future, we'll be talking previews for teams. We'll obviously do some Super Bowl predictions and most importantly, some fantasy stuff coming up, so stay tuned for that. And of course, by popular demand, today we have the juices loose. Take it away, Justin. So we're going over a topic that I know can be slow. We're going to hit baseball with this one. Uh, the London series was played a couple of weeks ago with the Yankees and the Red Sox. I know what Rob Manfred is trying to do. I understand that they want to make baseball more global, um, but the scores of the two games were 17-13 and 12-8. And in the first two, in the first game, the Yankees and Red Sox each used eight pitchers, and in the second game, they each used seven. Now, I just think it's a great idea if you want players to get injured and if you want players to hate London. Then I think he's doing it absolutely, absolutely perfect. Like this is the right way to go about it. Because how could you? Obviously, hitters are going to want to go back there. They put up you know fifty runs combined in two games. But this is just horrible for the pitchers. I don't think it's good for fans in London because if they do bring this to London, then they're going to expect this amount of runs every single game, and they're just going to get bored so fast. Um, and it's not realistic. Like, how can you have a team in London? If I'm if I'm a college athlete, and, you know, I, I know I'm going to get drafted, like, I'm hoping to go to the Yankees or, you know, even fuck it, like the fucking Marlins. No, I have to go play in London. Like, I don't even know how many miles it is. It's across the pond. Like, with all the Brits, I have to learn British accents. Like, I, it's just a whole ordeal that I don't want to go through. And now – how would the schedule even work? Would they do like a month in the States just playing road games for a month? And then you said like a team needs like two or three days off after going to London. It's like it's not a travel day. It's like a travel like week and a half. Like because, you know, they want to go exploring and see the Big Ben and all this other bullshit. It's just like such a prop. I, I honestly think it will never work. Football in London is different because you have weeks in between games. With the baseball scheduling, it doesn't work. Um, with the field that they had in London, the aerodynamics were so off. The batter's eye was pitch black, which means it's 
And with a white baseball, it's super easy to pick up. So it's just a nightmare for pitchers' ERAs, for pitchers' arms. It's an injury waiting to happen. There was a guy in the Red Sox, Mike Schwarin, who threw 50 pitches. His career high in pitches before that was like 25. Like, it's just, it's injuries, it's bad, it's unrealistic expectations for the fans in London. So my advice to Rob Manfred is think of something else. Go to Mexico. On to our picks of the day. Fed Nadal in Wimbledon, semifinal. Winner gets Djokovic going on right now. Federer leads two sets to one early on in the fourth. Uh, I really wish we were watching this right now and not recording the pod, but we'll be done in a few minutes, so we can watch after. Uh, whoever wins this match versus Djokovic, this is another major that's going to matter. They're all bunched up at the top for most majors ever, and I think Fed is trying to extend his lead by one, and he's probably retiring for the other two. And How many more shots is he going to have to up his total before Nadal and Djokovic has to com- just have to compete with each other? Yeah, didn't follow you at all there, but like I, like I said earlier on a previous pod, the only reason to watch tennis when there's a 15-year-old American girl or Federer versus Nadal. I think Serena's worth it. Well, she used to be 15. (laughs) Um, Weren't we all? (laughs) Yeah. On to dogs of the day. I'm rolling with the Tigers plus 123. Stephen Turnbull versus Danny Duffy. This is Tigers Royals. And it's Spencer Turnbull. (laughs) You don't know who that is. Um, His ERA is only 3-3. So that's good. And then that's the battle for the number one pick in the draft right there. And I think the Tigers lose it by winning. Uh, (laughs) Dog of the day. Uh, I'm going to go to the team I said is going to make the playoffs as in it right now. The uh, the Snakes pick the Diamondbacks plus 103. I know kind of a shit dog. I'm sorry about that. But uh, it's Robbie Ray versus Adam Wainwright. We'll see if Robbie Ray can get through five innings under 100 pitches with about 11Ks. So it should be exciting to watch. And uh, I definitely like them in this one coming off the All-Star game. You see Ketel Marte featuring the starting lineup. He had a double. That's my guy. So uh, we'll see what they can do tonight. Daily fantasy picks. I'm going Javi Baez against Chris Archer. Six for nine career against Archer. Cubs look to start hot in the second half. Baez came in second in the MVP voting last year, so he should stay hot against a struggling Archer. And uh, I'm going to go John Gray tonight just because uh, he's dirt cheap, and I know he's pitching in cores, but as much as you love the Reds, not a lot of other people do, and their offense is kind of putrid, so we're definitely going to go with John Gray tonight. Reds are a sneaky buyer at the deadline. Sneaky buyer. They're only four and a half games out and in fifth place in the right. NL Central. Quick point on that. Uh, the, te- the, the four teams closest to f- the first place team in baseball are all, are all in the NL Central. So the stat. fifth place team in the NL Central is the closest second place team in baseball, I think, except maybe Cleveland. It might be just in the NL. I don't know if Cleveland's closer, but that tells you that race is going to be fun to watch as we uh, get closer to the end of the season. So Might be the only fun race to so watch. So you're saying there's a chance for the Reds? No, you're saying there's a chance. Uh, just, saying there's a chance. It's not the four and a half games isn't the issue. They just have to hop four teams. That's the big problem there. And then uh, thank you so much for listening today. Uh, we had a lot of fun as always. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and reach out if you have any uh, questions or ideas for us to talk about. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We love talking through uh, Westbrook. We got real lucky today with uh, having a big topic to talk about. We thought we were going to have to dig in some of our uh, our uh, evergreen material. But uh, thanks for listening. And in the words of uh, Jackie Moon, uh, we don't even have corn dogs. Welcome to And the Foul. I'm Barco here with JL, and we're really excited to bring you today's episode. Today we're going to talk fantasy football finally and also some picks for the year. 
And unfortunately, Justin's leaving on Monday, so moving on, we'll only be doing either remote episodes or hopefully doing remote episodes at least. But we're really excited to bring today's fantasy show. And uh, don't forget to subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify uh, to And the Foul.